1: And uh, stuck at a stoplight. Of course it was on Shea Boulevard. That's rhetorical. Every stoplight you hit on Shea Boulevard, Darren Urban scoffs. Felipe Corral, Jr., you've been there and done that. You're behind the guy with the personalized license plate, and you're trying to figure out, okay, what exactly does this guy mean by that? Here's what the license plate read, and I'm looking straight to you, Felipe. Zero cap. One word. Zero cap. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Is this a play on cap? No cap? Like, this guy is zero cap? Or is this guy, like, a Major League Baseball general manager? Was it Mike Hazen? He has no cap because of baseball? What exactly? Somebody help me out and translate here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.
0: I mean, that would be no lie, right? No
2: cap. No
1: lie, baby. No zero cap. cap, though, is what it says. Yeah. Zero.
2: Zero, that's another way of saying no cap, zero or somebody yeah.
0: already took no cap for their license plate and you still wanted to have no or
2: cap. Someone was just, just happened to listen to the first couple episodes of <laughs> Cardinals Underground where sure. I introduced this term of no cap and cap to the podcast. Right. And they said, you know what? I'm going to go get a customized license plate and have zero cap on there.
0: I, I enjoy the uh, the possibility, though, of it being. <laughs> a major league baseball general manager with no salary count.
1: I was trying to give you guys it's trying to make a multiple <laughs> choice option. just something to think about I, I did enjoy though Felipe and you glossed right over it uh him asserting that perhaps he came up with cap no cap before it was even in the urban dictionary yeah I don't know about that so, hey, but here's the other yeah. thing
0: what 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 is the uh the the shade being thrown on Shea there uh as somebody who grew up uh, around it's funny I think when you talk about stoplights I think about back in the day when I first moved to Arizona I'm so freaking old um, Shea Boulevard I, I grew up right around Scottsdale and Shea. Shea Boulevard when I went to school my school was I was on the other side of Shea from my K-8 school so oh, I walked over near school. Chaparral uh, I lived near Chaparral. This, this, the school that I went to, K-8, Cocoa was on the other side of Shea. So we walked to school. And when I first started going to school in, like, first grade, second grade, third grade, whatever. It was a
1: dirt road with
2: horses. It wasn't, it
0: wasn't a dirt road, but it was two lanes. It was two lanes. And if you can imagine Shea Boulevard, which is, what, six lanes now, three either side? Oh, yeah. People are flying, like, 60 miles an hour. Sure. It was, I don't know what the speed limit was. I'm guessing it was okay because we had a crossing guard. We had a nice old gentleman with a crossing guard on Shea, and there was two lanes, and we'd we'd cross. And now I see that place. Well, uh, was your it, was it was, your dog
1: named Lassie as well? <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I do, when I first moved here, so it would have been 95, I do vividly remember basically the world ended at Scottsdale Road and Shea Boulevard. There was a Circle K and then nothing north of that except open desert, basically, yeah, at that point.
0: it's, it's definitely built up. I mean, well, you can imagine when I moved here in 76, it was yeah. –
1: well, they've, they've failed in an epic way in trying to sync up the lights on Shea Boulevard. Let me I just put that it that way. You can't make any real efficient time traveling. In fact, I would say the new $1 trillion infrastructure Wait, bill you're, that's you're out. Wait, you're time traveling? I would say the number one priority in the infrastructure bill is to go ahead and sync up the lights on Shea Boulevard. Are you with me, Felipe, on that one?
2: I can't remember the last time I was on that <laughs> side of town. You know? I'm accustomed to like... You know, I want to go downtown, so I'm accustomed to all the construction in downtown Phoenix. Obviously, there's been major construction. And like Toshi and Thomas, man, if you guys think. Shea Boulevard is, well, I, you know, horrible I, I, I when it live, comes to traffic. I don't traffic,
0: live I mean, Shea anymore. I'm, I'm on the other side. I, just, don't, I don't live in that high fluting area. Just drive from,
2: like, parents. 7th you know Street in Thomas to, like, 40th Street in Thomas, and you'll be there for a good hour. I
1: mean, come on. The Cardinals are 8-1. and one. Yeah. They're 5-0 and oh on the road. They're 3-0 and oh in the division. I mean, we've got two months of meaningless football just to get <laughs> ready for the playoffs. So why don't you guys post a poll, you know, and just where should this $1 trillion be allocated – which is the worst intersection and or stretch of roadway in Metro Phoenix that needs the most help? Go ahead, post I'm, a poll. So,
0: somehow, I, I, I'm thinking inter, uh, infrastructure money going to sync up the lights on Shea Boulevard no. isn't, isn't going to be at the top I of mean, the list. Somebody give me the number to There's my local congressman. There's got to be a bridge that's about to fall apart yeah. somewhere in the well, in the state.
1: You know what's falling apart? The San Francisco 49ers. Can I? seems can, like it, Can yeah. I just throw out a couple of quick – the aftermath – this scorched earth that the Arizona Cardinals left in the Bay Area. You were there, Felipe. There was a lot of unrest. Did you or did you not hear boos at certain points in that game?
2: I, I mean, I, I was getting a little confused because, you know, how when Kyle Yusek, said- you know, make some type of play, they always yeah. say you. But then at some point, you can't necessarily uh, confuse the booze, yeah, you know, that's halfway point. through the, through they the second just
1: been quarter. You're cheering or for the fullback there, Paul. Well, considering he didn't get a lot of touches, I don't think all those were for number 44. Probably. Let me put it that way.
2: And I just want to say, I saw Paul in the press box, and there's something about seeing Pa Cavici and Darren Urban in person on game day <laughs> that just, you know, it really. It lightened up my mood, you know. I saw Paul for the first time on a road game, and I said, "You know what? I can't wait for I can't wait for Tuesday's podcast because I want to name drop Paul." What Cubbies. was
1: what was embarrassing though is every time I saw Felipe, I was in line for more coffee <laughs> or, or another croissant. I mean, it was just I was always in line for at, at the spread. So that was tough.
2: Does that mean it was a late Saturday evening for you, or <laughs> that you needed coffee in the morning, or what? Is I, that just routine for well, Paul?
1: I was you no, know, I was getting ready. You know, it's a long it's a long span of time down in the sideline. You know, you, mm. it, there's yeah, there, you, you go a you. long time between uh, meals, and so you know, and then if you oh boy, if you forget the power bar at halftime, you are so host, you have no energy. You guys have no idea what just a physical slog it is to be a sideline reporter. because <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face myself down here while you guys are in the press box, repeatedly going for a good four-hour span to the 49ers spread and all the food and coffee out there. I mean, I'm down there on that sideline. My goodness, may it's may a test of endurance,
2: like you wouldn't believe.
0: Yeah, I may or may yeah. or not
1: have the extra. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I, I just want. Can I make a quick note? I love the Cardinals like press box area. But when you go to that 49ers press box area and they have a, a good 10 stations of snacks and food and 20 coffee machines, it just yeah. it's a certain level of appreciation that you just have to go over there m- double the amount of times to that's get a, an extra cup. That's a
0: secret, Felipe. We're not supposed to be talking about yeah. that to the well. to the public at large. <laughs> Although I did notice that Ohms had to be happy because
1: every time we go... He just got a golf clap and standing I, I ovation that, from Jim Amon. I,
0: I keep thinking to myself when, when a place has... Their individual food stations, and it's a big one where it has everything. And they have the bathroom down there mm-hmm. for the radio booths. So I know that's a big deal to all you guys. So.
1: <laughs> Do you know what the Cardinals did to the 49ers? I watched it. Not just beat the <laughs> 49ers down, sweep them in the season series and make it 14 out of 17. They have now won, I think, in the series, something like that. Mm-hmm. They left Kyle Shanahan with the same career regular season winning percentage as Chip Kelly. Yeesh the guy he replaced
2: is that bad
1: three more (laughs) takeaways as i continue three more takeaways and that means kyle shanahan has a turnover ratio of minus 44 this is since he took over 2017 that's dead last in the nfl by 11 turnovers it's not even close yikes and so there's (laughs) the aftermath the scorched earth the cardinals left behind in the bay area because you went in there and beat them minus Kyler murray minus DeAndre Hopkins, no AJ Green. Uh, the Niners were supposed to this was their turnaround game. Get them to 4 and 5, back into the thick of it. Their race for that seventh, you know, playoff spot, that third wild card, and it's all been destroyed and you've shattered the confidence of a lot of 49ers fans in the combination head coach and general manager back in the Bay Area.
0: I it, it's it's funny because obviously uh, a couple of years ago they went 13 and 3. Uh, in Cliff Kingsbury's first year, and everybody was talking about where Kyle Shanahan was as a coach and where Cliff Kingsbury was as a coach and where they might go. And to think, you know, two and a half years later, uh, it's Cliff on top of the NFL with the best record, and Kyle Shanahan right now, there's – I've seen – I mean, I don't think it's a drumbeat or any uh, anything like that, but I, I do think there's starting to become a little bit of a swell of people saying – do they keep him long term? How long is this going to go? And you know, I, I'm not, I'm not qualified enough to, and not around that situation enough to know exactly where that would necessarily go with Kyle Shanahan. But it, it just shows you guys, you know, the where this league is. I mean, you, you've, you've got to have a lot of things go right for good seasons. And yeah, you need good coaching, but you need good players, and they need to stay healthy. And it also underscores again the quarterback situation. They are unsettled in the quarterback situation, and when they went 13-3 and three a couple of years ago, I think Jimmy G was playing probably his best football, but more importantly, they were so good everywhere else and didn't have a lot of injuries that it made up for it, and right now they just don't have that.
1: And You have a guy who was the only Niners coach in the last 20 years to get a contract extension. Nobody before him, going all the way back to the Mike Nolans and Mike Singletary's, even Jim Harbaugh, you go back to all that, none of them got a contract extension, so and, and they just gave up three first-round picks for Trey Lance, who may or may not be better than Justin Fields at this point. So that's what you left behind. You have a Carolina team coming up who's even worse, Felipe, and then the Cardinals sit in between as the only one-loss team in the NFL.
2: Is it the time of the year where we start, where people start talking about Cliff Kingsbury as like a coach of the year candidate I given? Mean, I think it's fair to start talking about if that. If you yeah. start comparing the you know the different situations, you know, I feel like people are still kind of stuck from last year's the ending of last year, but I mean you can you can't ignore certain statistics that Cliff Kingsbury has brought to this offense specifically. I mean, aside from that record, just you know, five and on the road, they've scored thirty plus points in each one of those road games. I think it's like the first time uh since two thousand that they that they start five that a team starts five and on the road and they scored thirty plus points. I mean at some point, you know, you, you kind of have to start talking about Cliff Keensbury as a Coach of the Year candidate, just given the dominating fashion that you know, that this offense has had, this defense, this team in general. So, And going back to the whole Kyle Shanahan and the, and the quarterback situation, at any point did you guys think that the Niners looked better with Trey Lance in Week 5, I believe, compared to Week 9?
1: They were certainly more competitive. Were they not? That was a much they were tighter more game for different reasons. I was
0: going to say, defensively, they did a lot better job on the Cardinals. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I I don't. mean, they still only scored 10 points that day. I, the thing was is this weekend, the 49ers moved the ball at times. They just had, especially early, they had some bad turnovers, and it got them in a hole, and then it kind of all circled the drain for them.
2: It makes it more impressive of a win when you get Jimmy G back, you get George Kittle back. Your defensive line is pretty much intact. You still have one of the best linebackers in the NFL in Fred Warner, and you still get 31 points put on you. Yeah. I mean, th- that makes the win more impressive. Obviously, with all the missing pieces, you lose Justin Pugh in the was it in the first quarter, yeah. and you, Nine you lose snaps into the you game. lose Chase Edmonds after the first offensive series, and you still find a way to to dominate. I, I think that's what makes the win so impressive.
1: I mean, the Cardinals led 31-7. At one point, they had 437 total yards. Their backup quarterback went 22-26 of with a passer rating of 119. So all that combined, yeah, after the game, Fred Warner was quoted as saying, it's pretty embarrassing. It's unacceptable for sure. It's both sides of the ball. It's Kyle Shanahan saying after the game, we didn't stop the run. We didn't stop those screens. Time of possession, 37-23. I know on Cliff Kingsbury's TV show this week, We asked him just if there was anything because we had talked going into the game about Shanahan. And what do you do when you play a division team for the second time around? And Cliff made a couple interesting comments. This is last week. And he said, you know what? I love the fact in the NFL I get to play a team a second time because in college I have to wait 12 months. I love to watch the film and say, man, I should have done this. I would have done this if I had this again. So I love the ability to go at a team a second time and make those adjustments without having to wait a full year. The other thing he said about going into that game is I totally lost my train of thought right now. Oh, here it was. It was (laughs) after the game. So then this time around, we asked him, okay, so how did the game come out, and what did you think? Were there some new wrinkles that maybe we wouldn't catch? And he said, no, really, the thing I was surprised about is the Niners didn't run the ball more. And they only ran it 11 times for 39 yards. And I know they got behind, but they weren't so far behind through the entirety of the game that you only run it 11 times. I just... You look at the, now was that because of the 443? Is that because Shanahan and Jimmy G took a look out there and said, "Guess what? Vance Joseph is hellbent on not allowing us to run for a buck 51 like we did in week 5." Well, I mean, and we, why bash our heads into that brick wall?
0: Yeah, I mean, once they came out in that defensive alignment with only three defensive backs, I mean, I think it was absolutely like, "We're not we're not messing around here. We, you know, we're gonna. And, and the the reality is, is Jimmy Garoppolo can make mistakes. And uh, you've made the point in the past, Paul, and you're not wrong. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's had some unbelievable passing days against the Cardinals. That said, it was against a much different team and a much different defense. And I think they felt confident if they could put Jimmy Garoppolo in places where he had to pass the ball a lot. It might pay off, and ultimately we saw an interception and five sacks. Um, the two fumbles weren't his fault. Uh, in fact, the two fumbles, when I keep thinking and this is why I go back to, like, they moved the ball at times. I mean, both those fumbles were giant, not just because they were turnovers, but they came after giant plays. I mean, those mm-hmm. both those passes were going to put – one of them definitely put them near the goal line, and thank goodness Marco Wilson had a brain freeze and decided not to touch Brandon Ayuk down. Um, and, and George Kittle wasn't quite in field goal range even yet, but they were moving the ball, and I think they would have continued if, if Brent, uh, Byron Murphy doesn't come from behind and punch that out.
1: Because we can talk about how maybe that Green Bay game might, might have provided a blueprint you know, to the Cardinals' defense. Yeah. Okay? And we talked about that after the Minnesota game here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, right about what Kirk Cousins did. He got the ball out real quick, wouldn't let the Cardinals pass rushers get to him. He didn't get sacked at all in that game. And then he would make quick throws to the perimeter or screens, and then he would hand it to Dalvin Cook between the tackles, or there would be a cutback for Dalvin Cook. And it was a great plan by the Vikings offensively, and they ran for a buck 50 plus in that one. And that was a tight game as well, obviously, all the way down to the very end. But here's the thing. In that Green Bay game plan, how many teams have a quarterback with the ability to check at the line of scrimmage like Aaron Rodgers? Not very many. How many teams have that unbelievable tandem of running backs and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon at 250, right? He's over there busting guys <laughs> and busting face masks. It's just even minus his top receivers. That's why, you know, there's the question out there right now, Felipe, and it's okay, <laughs> zoom out, scan the NFC. Which team do you fear the most? And to me... It's not the Rams, certainly not the Cowboys. To me, it's the Green Bay Packers based on what Aaron – if you give Aaron Rodgers his top three receivers, which he didn't mm-hmm. have in the first, plus those two running backs, plus they're getting Diari back at left tackle, and the defense, they've figured it out so it's not a disaster, and, and they I'll, obviously played the Cardinals tough. To me, it's the Packers now. We haven't seen the Buccaneers yet, mm-hmm. and a Todd Bowles defense by the end of the season when they get their corners back, and Tom Brady obviously in the postseason, okay, but to me, those are the top two threats right now for the Cardinals in the, you know, potential playoff picture. Well, and as
0: we record this, uh, assuming he clears waivers, uh, supposedly Odell Beckham's first choice to sign somewhere would be the Packers.
1: <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's a good thing for the rest of the NFC. <laughs> he, he has not been a benefit. He, he has been a negative. He has been a minus well, in the drag. Well, that's what cracks me about
0: gonna... uh, the Seahawks talking about getting him. I'm like, you're going to put them on the same team as Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? Who, who, who's the third receiver there, and how happy are they going to be being the third receiver? Right. I, that doesn't make
2: any sense. Going to back me. to that question about who, what NFC team is the most, you know, would you fear the most? At the end of the day, that Thursday night football game, I mean, yeah, they were without some of the top offensive weapons and a top lineman, but... The Cardinals, I mean, Zach Allen was coming back from, you know, the COVID list. Chandler Jones was coming back from the COVID list. Obviously, Corey Peters, he didn't even play that Thursday night football game. Correct. So you get yep. those guys back in rhythm against the Niners, and, and then you see the type of performance that they had on that defensive line. You mentioned a 39 uh, rush yards. So, you know, at some point, everybody starts playing games, you know, injured. You know, you're going to have key injuries throughout the Throughout the NFL, which makes, again, which makes the 8 and 1 start to the season that much more impressive because, despite obviously not having Cliff against the Browns, you didn't have Chandler for a pair of games. All these things, I know we're going to talk about prior at some point because I know it makes you mad, Paul, especially when it comes to Sports Illustrated. People just, we they need to, a, you know, get ranks. that microscope for the Cardinals and really take a deep dive of why they're one of the top teams in the NFL, giving everything that happens.
1: You know what the Cardinals could use in a rematch with the Packers, potentially in the playoffs, would be a healthy Zayvon Collins. For a kid mm-hmm. who hasn't played very much and hasn't made much much of a lasting impression or impact, they really missed their 260-pound middle linebacker. They could have thrown out there in a three-inside linebacker formation mm-hmm. against A.J. Dillon and, and Aaron Jones. I, to me, they missed him in that game. So he gets healthy. He's available. That would definitely be a benefit for the Cardinals in any sort of rematch. But – to have a Colt McCoy go in, and it was interesting to hear D.J. Humphreys after the game compare this quarterback room to Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton, yeah. and and just the knowledge and the wisdom that comes with uh, you know a Colt McCoy, and and it reminded us of what Drew Stanton said last week on the Red Sea Report, and you know he made so and Stanton has that self-deprecating you know sense of humor. He said, "Look, uh, my career stats, nothing to write home about, but as a backup quarterback." I had a winning record. I had a career winning record. But you know what was most important that I had? I had the confidence of my locker room. And that's what any good backup quarterback needs is the belief of the 52 other guys that we can go in there and win a game. So I don't know about you guys, but a lot of guys went on the record going into that game at San Francisco and it seemed to be genuine. Did not seem to be media speak that okay, you know, and Colt we trust. No, a lot of guys brought him up on their own and the confidence they had and obviously the team played accordingly.
0: I think you signed uh, – you tried to improve your backup quarterback situation for just this very situation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you were in a place where you saw what happened with Chris Streveler last year. They obviously didn't want to bring back Brett Hundley. Um, It helped, and even Cliff was talking about this. I mean, let's face it, one of the big reasons they brought in Colt McCoy was to help Kyler Murray, to be a mentor, to be another experienced voice in the room that – didn't have a. There wasn't a lot of experience in there. Uh, but then, as Colt McCoy told Cliff, and then as Cliff later told us, uh, Colt kind of cut him off on that one of those early conversations, saying, "Hey, I can really play still," and uh, and even Colt said when I asked him about that that, you know, I wouldn't still be playing if I didn't think I could play, and that makes sense. And then to go out and do what he did, I mean, did I expect him to play quite so perfectly? I, I guess I didn't. I mean, this is probably the best team he started for. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and look, but those Browns teams mm-hmm. were not good. And the, the Giants teams, and maybe the Redskins teams were okay, but not this good. The Giants teams definitely weren't good, and I don't know if he even started for them. But this is probably the best team that's been around him, and I just thought he was incredibly calm and cool and smart with everything he did. And the game plan was wonderful. I mean, you Darren, got a prop,
2: and, Darren and Paul, you know what happened with Colt McCoy last year? He got sacked a couple of times by the Cardinals, right? Yep. or uh, yep. was it last year? It was
0: at the end of the Giants game.
2: Yeah. And he said, you know what? I don't want to get sacked anymore. Let me <laughs> let me go join that offense and Cliff Kingsbury. But to kinda of elaborate a little bit on what you said about how he played so perfectly, I mean, he had the second highest completion percentage in, in a single game in franchise history. Yeah. I mean that's how good he played. And he didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. He didn't have AJ Green like we mentioned it. So, I mean that that makes his performance much more impressive. He did everything that he needed to do in that game. I mean, he controlled the line. He controlled the line of scrimmage. He controlled. It was like a Chris Paul type of game. You know, he controlled the floor the way that Chris Paul does. He controlled uh, the time of possession. He made, he made sure that James Conner was in positions to succeed. Things like that is what you expect from a veteran quarterback. So
1: And he did get sacked a couple of times, mm-hmm. but he didn't make the boneheaded mistake of trying to make a play out of nothing mm-hmm. and then costing you six points on some sort of errant <laughs> pass like we've seen a lot of young quarterbacks do in this league right still doing high school type stuff like oh I'm not gonna take a loss in this play I'm gonna fling it out to the flat and there it goes the other way Matt, so
2: Matthew Stafford had that on Sunday sure. night too so is that shade is that shade Paul I'm just I, know, wasn't, I, like I wasn't I wasn't
1: naming names you were so yeah. you know, <laughs> I read your mind you I, I I kept Gray it, you, I, kept it, I, 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 I like. let you fill in the blanks so in fact uh If you watch the locker room video in the visiting victorious locker room in Santa Clara, Cliff Kingsbury tells that story as well to the team about what Colt McCoy, but apparently Colt McCoy uh, accentuated it, punctuated it with an expletive that they had to uh, keep out of of it. You know, so, I mean, he was adamant. He was adamant. I can still bleeping play, coach. I'm not just gonna Do you think Colt McCoy really said that
0: word? I don't picture Colt McCoy saying that word. Well, there are guys the who are so
1: polished in front of the media, they might throw you what Maybe. they're really like behind the scenes. Maybe. You know, so, some of the guys who, uh, I mean, for the most part, um, Bruce Arians and his staff never really swore on camera, for you the most part. Yeah. But if you ever went to a Cardinals practice with B.A. and his staff, oh, my goodness. That's true. Right? So, uh, but in terms of Colt McCoy and, and, and what they did and – and minus a lot of the parts, I mean, by the end of that game, they were without their long snapper for Pete's sake, which, which was both alarming and somewhat entertaining down in the sideline. Because there's Aaron Brewer. He comes off after the long Brandon Ayuk punt return. And you're like, right away you're like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's heading to the trainers. Okay, who is the backup long snapper, I'm asking myself. So as the game progresses a little bit more, the assistant special teams coach, Devin Fitzsimmons, Yes. He comes down. Coach and Fitz. Coach Fitz. Uh, he makes the specialists aware that there might be a snap between then and the end of the game uh, just a bit outside. Put it that way. That might go a little awry because uh, there's going to be a backup for the most part snapping that ball. So then when the Cardinals had the ball in Niners territory and they're looking at fourth and five. And all of a sudden, they call a timeout. Well, why? They want to talk it over. No, the long snappers in the locker room getting checked out. What exactly are they going to do? So then, Dennis- and
0: and by the way, Jeff Rogers, the the special teams coordinator wasn't at the game because of COVID. (laughs) So it's all on Coach Fitz here.
1: Exactly. And so Dennis Gardeck takes a false start. And, oh, by the way, uh, guess what? The backup Sean Harlow gets off a snap just to practice once, and then they take another false start, and he gets another snap off to practice just so because they were far enough into Niners territory they can afford to be 4th and 15. And that was just a really interesting sequence to see how that played out. So you're saying the
0: false starts were taking one for the team for Dennis Gardeck?
1: Yes, okay. for Sean Harlow's sake. No, I get to it. practice. Yes,
2: so Sean Harlow would have give been, Andy Lee he, more room. Harlow would have been the the backup long snapper, or how does that work? Yes. I've just never seen a long snapper ever been injured or on a team or whatnot. So I was just you know. What, what happens in that scenario? Yeah,
1: injury is very rare. I immediately think of when they went between Mike Leach and Aaron Brewer, and there was a three- to four- to five-game stretch, uh, especially in Buffalo. Darren, help me out here with Cam my recollection. Kennedy. Candidate, Cam that's right. Candidate,
0: who, by the way, got cut because he struggled here so much. He, they had a, It was Cam Candidate, and there was another guy who, after Leach retired, they had the competition all through camp. Cam Candidate won it. Uh, struggled at the beginning of the year, uh, starting with that Patriots game, had the issue in Buffalo. They cut him, and uh, Aaron Brewer came in, has done a great job. Cam Kennedy went to Pittsburgh and has been a Pro Bowl long snapper.
1: No. Yes. Come on.
0: I think we've said this before on this podcast. Not Pro Bowl. And I, I he's, think he's still he, in the league and he was a pro bowler. And 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 I think you actually had the same exact reaction the last time <laughs> I said just, this.
1: That's twenty years of morning radio and sleep deprivation just yes, hosing my. But yes, my...
0: Cam Kennedy was the guy who replaced Mike Leach and didn't last very long and struggled. Let me tell you. But Cam Kennedy was, I think, right out of college at that point. And then like kickers, a lot of times these long snappers need a little time to figure out. Figure it out before they hit their stride.
1: I tell you though, the biggest kudos you can give Aaron Brewer is virtually no one knows who this guy is. He has been so reliable. He has I love been Aaron so dependable. We've talked about Aaron Brewer. He's been so flawless. Yes, I'm going to use that word. I can't remember a single snap he has screwed up in his five or six years with the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, if only NFL officials were as under the radar and as inconspicuous as. Aaron Brewer, the long snapper, you know, memo to Tony, Tony Corrente coming off Monday Night Football. Try not to be so much in the spotlight, right? I mean, those – if only NFL officials were more like long snappers around here. Who's with me? Harumph.
0: I mean, Cam Cannaday, he's no – I mean, I, I think Aaron Brewer and I think um, that – uh I think I mentioned this in training camp, where he comes. I saw him at one point, and he had the Hawaiian shirt on. and He had the mustache because he rocks the mustache, and he had the sunglasses on earlier in the morning. And he looks like you know, the, no. the old school private investigator that
2: <laughs> looks was like
0: up an old Nick, way too light.
1: like an old Nick Nolte movie or something like that.
0: Can I just state for the record, though, that uh, not only did Cam Kennedy make a Pro Bowl, but it looks like the Steelers released him in training camp. No, I'm guessing out of cash reasons. So wow. who knows, he might actually be, uh, it looks like he's actually available.
1: Interesting. So. We'd call Mike Leach, but Mike's like a pencil neck now. Love you, Mike. Uh, he lost like 100 pounds when he stopped playing, so he's out there playing a lot of golf in, uh, in Virginia or something like that. We've seen him in some of the Cardinals' tales, by the way. He's a great guy, great interview. But in terms of injuries, yeah, that one's a huge question mark. What about the offensive line now, guys? What about the status of Justin Pugh and or Max Garcia? Could you be without your starting guards from the Niners game? And what exactly does that mean? If Rodney Hudson is your center, and knock on wood, let's hope he still is. We have no reason to believe otherwise. Then are your starting guards Josh Jones and Sean Harlow? I mean, yeah. Don't they have to be? Have to be, right?
0: I mean, at this early point in the season, the, the Cardinals have already uh, brought up Marcus Henry in the season, in the week. The Cardinals have already brought up Marcus Henry from the practice squad uh, as a promotion, Uh, and then they they also made sure they've already announced their COVID replacements for this weekend, and one of them is Danny Isadora, offensive lineman. Now Mm. that could change if AJ Green or Demetrius Harris get healthy later in the week. But this is an interesting time to make those choices. Usually you wait till wait late in the week to see who you really need. Well, obviously they really need offensive linemen right now. So we'll see where Justin Pugh is, and we'll see where Max Garcia is. And, again, the injury thing is real with all these guys, and you're going to you're gonna have to get around this and get guys healthy at some point.
1: To me, you can handle Chase Edmonds. You can handle Chase Edmonds. Eno Benjamin obviously did a nice job. Uh, it's the offensive line that's more concerning than an injury to the running back room because guess what? No line, no running lanes. You can get a running back if there's running room who will be successful. But if they're not, especially if Colt McCoy is going to be the starter again and doesn't have the escapability, obviously, and the ability to extend plays like a Kyler Murray, I, I'm more concerned with offensive line injuries than probably any other position group on this team.
2: Though I did, I did see Colt McCoy you know, put on his best Kyler Murray impersonation in Week 9. I think he had a couple uh, of uh, small runs there. But, I mean, if you look back in Week 9 and a pair of those touchdowns, uh, the first, you know, the the James Conner 13-yard touchdown and the Eno Benjamin touchdown, a lot of that you probably credit the offensive line. I mean, the holes it created, uh, it always – you know it's beneficial to have someone like Ronnie Hudson, but I remember on that 13-yard touchdown when Sean Harlow, Sean Harlow, you know kicked out right, you know picked up Nick Nick Bosa, Daryl Daniels followed with that lead block, and wow, the the holes I feel like our own Rolando Cantu can probably run through one whoa, of those whoa, holes. us not ahead of ourselves. One of those offensive offensive linemen, the the holes that they create. So I mean, it is concerning because the production from their the running back group comes, you know. Majority of the time, it comes from the holes that this offensive line creates. And uh, can I highlight something on that uh, on the James Conner 45-yard uh, screenplay? Yeah, please I, do. I, I saw Rodney Hudson out in the open field just put one of those defensive backs on their backs to give Conner a, a a clear path to 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 the end zone. So it's things like that that really, when it comes to, when we talk about offensive linemen and injuries, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You know. How is this, is this run game, run game going to keep being productive if, if you don't have guys like Max Garcia and Justin Pugh who, they're veterans, they know that offensive line, they've played under Sean Coogler for a couple of years now, so yeah, it is concerning. You know what, when the virtual f- film room,
1: we always pick a play or two for Cliff Kingsbury to break down, so we pick the 45-yard Uh, catch and run by James Conner the longest touchdown of his career which Cliff Kingsbury said he was not aware of but to your point Felipe uh we extended the play all the way and he highlighted Rodney Hudson all the way down some 30 yards downfield getting a piece of a guy and helping spring James Conner and I followed up with hey that's gotta go a long way in the film room on a Monday And he said, absolutely. Guys, respect that. That's just one of many things they respect about Rodney Hudson.
0: I feel like we've seen Rodney Hudson way downfield a few times already
1: this season. I mean,
0: I'm not saying other linemen don't do it, but, man, he's really good. And to come from the center position to do it is really impressive to me.
1: So why is this team so good with so many injuries? That is the question. And, and, okay, you know what? Pick me. My hand's up. Ooh, ooh, pick me. Go for it. Okay. We wait
0: to hear your legendary analysis
1: <laughs> you, I'm not going to leave anyone behind on this analysis okay. I guarantee you I'm just saying it's an observation all right this team loves a challenge they love a challenge they're they're at their best when someone says their best won't be good enough whether it's at Tennessee against Derrick Henry whether it's at the Rams ain't no Sean McVay right whether it's at Cleveland minus their head coach Uh, everything you know missing guys on the morning of the game because of covid positive tests you know whether it's going to the 49ers minus their mvp caliber quarterback and their top two receivers this team loves a challenge they respond to a challenge there's something about it where they come out and they're all about proving people wrong and you can't tell me they're not listening they hear no, a lot of what's out there. Do uh, they hear everything? No. But they hear enough that it's a motivator.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, all it takes is one person saying it. And, heck, they don't even need to hear it now. If somebody said something a month ago, they they probably can run with that for a while. And uh, so, obviously, guys are listening. And you And you find anything, I mean – Look, we all saw the last dance. I mean, half the time Michael Jordan wasn't getting dissed or somebody was complimenting him and he turned it into a negative mm-hmm. just to. And that's how a lot of these guys are wired. And and it, it, I, to me, sorry, Kyle, I'm going to mention this word. But to me, there is a, a, a kind of momentum with that in terms of like after a while. I mean, if you're if you're in the bubble of the locker room, OK, it's kind of like the you know, propaganda that you could be in. If you're in the middle of the locker room, it doesn't matter what everybody is saying in the outside. All it takes is a little kernel, and if in your little bubble everybody starts repeating it, and they find, start to yeah. believe it, you know, it becomes uh, it becomes misinformation. I'm not going to get too far into this analogy because I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, but ultimately...
1: Well, if you want to, you can go on the Pat McAfee show.
0: No, I, I think I'll avoid that. But I will say... That it doesn't matter what people are saying. They're going to manufacture, I think, ways to get there. And, and I know that's like, I know Wolf would probably just throw up at that th- thought process that somebody would like make stuff up to like motivate them. But I, I think it actually happens.
1: Yeah. Look, it wouldn't be the first time that something got embellished. Yes. In, you know, for the sake of the team. Yeah. Even the head coach, you know what he's saying this week? Because you're trying to figure out, okay, what could possibly be the motivation against a Carolina team that has lost five of six? They have scored one touchdown in their last three games. They have scored one touchdown in their last 36 possessions. Think about that, how horrendous this Carolina offense has been with Sam Darnold, who's an absolute turnover machine, getting ripped by his head coach, Matt Rule, in the post-game press conference. If you're thinking, okay, wait a minute, how can you get the attention of your team? Well, Cliff Kingsbury is telling the Arizona Cardinals locker room, that Carolina has beaten the Cardinals five times in a row. And because of their dominance over the Cardinals, which include an NFC Championship game win that got awful lopsided by the end, then guess what? Uh, Carolina has had the
2: Cardinals number over the last decade. And they've been without Christian McCaffrey during that span that that you mentioned. I think he played his first game last week in in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, that can also be extra motivation for that, that Cardinals defense, who, by the way, have been playing... You know, lights out through these first nine weeks of the season. Didn't they come in 2018
1: with Kyle Allen, mm-hmm. the local yes. Scottsdale Desert Mountain kid, and yes. they throttled the Cardinals without Christian McCaffrey in that game.
0: It was not. It was not pretty. I, I can't remember if McCaffrey played, yeah. but I do. I do remember Kyle Allen. And last year, even with McCaffrey, I think he played. But I mean, they got slapped silly in Carolina. Was that, that was last year, right? I believe it was last Oh, year. yeah, it was
1: week four. Yeah. They had zero energy. That's no. where we came up with BYOE, bring your own energy, because there's no one in the stadium. And they came out there, zero energy. And, yeah, they got worked in that game. Teddy Bridgewater was solid enough. And that Carolina defense went sideline to sideline, and the Cardinals didn't have a lot of energy on their sideline, and it got ugly quick. In that game, that was part of the roller coaster ride. Win yeah. two, lose two. Remember that they were two and but, zero. They ended up two and two at that point.
0: Carolina is always. I mean, uh, the Cardinals weren't a bad. Well, it turned out to be a bad place. But remember, two thousand and seven, um, they the Panthers signed Vinnie Testaverde off the street, <laughs> oh. and and they yeah. signed Vinnie Testaverde off the street when Ken Whisenhunt was trying to get Vinnie Testaverde here to be a backup to Kurt Warner because Matt liner went down with the collarbone injury. And then within uh, the first quarter, uh, Julius Peppers fell on Kurt Warner and made his left arm look horrendous. Oh, that's right, yeah. And uh, they had to bring in Tim Rattay, who had just signed that week, and it it became Vinny Testaverde of the Panthers Panthers versus Tim Rattay of the Cardinals, and that was just a horrific game. Uh, On a team that if they win that game that season, they might end up as a playoff team later that year. They didn't, the Cardinals, but – uh, the Panthers have had uh, some interesting games with the Cardinals over the years, so it's always something. You, you yeah. don't want to think it's going to be nothing.
1: I mean, You've got a Carolina team where Robbie Anderson, for the second time this year, started screaming at his quarterback on the sideline. And then after the game, he told the media, uh, I don't know exactly what I said to him, but it was pretty much like, you need to tighten it up a little bit. The same way if I'm slacking, I need someone to tell me that. We hold each other accountable, and I hold myself accountable, and that's part of it. And, and then later in the same press conference, Robbie Anderson, who's been volatile throughout his career, one of the reasons he's no longer with the Jets, he said that Carolina continually doing the same thing over and over again on offense and hoping for different results is, quote, technically insanity. Wow. End quote.
0: He's having a bad year, though, Robbie Anderson. Yeah. Like He's yeah. barely getting the ball. And
1: yeah. he knows Darnold well yeah. because they play together right. in New York. So. And then, of course, the Panthers are getting ripped because what did they do before the season, before Sam Darnold had even played a single game? They picked up his $19 million <laughs> guaranteed option. They picked up his option without ever having seen him in a regular season game, and it's guaranteed for next year at $19 million. and he's thrown 10 picks in his last six games, and he threw interceptions on three straight possessions last was it, was week against ball? the Patriots. Is it bad to do that? you know how it gets worse when the patriots dbs come out after the game and this is jc jackson who had the 88 yard pick six and he said yeah we disguise against darnold rd disguises pretty good every year he's had a hard time because we played him with the jets and then belichick went on and said hey we were able to create some pressure so let me ask you guys vance joseph is he pretty good at creating pressure, A, and B, is he pretty good at disguising and changing coverages and being pretty multiple throughout an entire game because that seems to play Felipe and Vance Joseph's strength. If that indeed is what befuddles a Sam Darnold, guess what, advantage Arizona.
2: And, I mean, when you have two outside linebackers who have, you know, six-plus sacks, you know, on your side of the, of the ball, I mean, of course that's like that's what Chandler Jones wants. You know, last week he was talking about hopefully, you know, these quarterbacks can hold on to the ball a lot, and you see Sam Darnold doing a lot of that in the pocket. I mean, Van Joseph, what he does so well is he plays a talent on his roster. I mean, that's that's been his, you know, his best asset is playing to the talent that he has on his roster. He has that rotation on the defensive line that week after week, for the most part, keeps producing well. I'm talking about guys like Corey Peters, Zach Allen, Lecky like Foltz, who hopefully Rashard Lawrence comes back healthy soon enough. Uh, I mean, obviously no more J.J. Watt, and he's still... I mean, no J.J. Watt, and you hold the 49ers to 39 yards rushing. I mean, that's that's all Vance Joseph right there. So, And we talk about that four-four-three alignment. That's having confidence in your secondary. When you have one safety in the backfield, and you have one of the best safety duos in the backfield, you can do stuff like that. So... He's playing to the talent on his on that side of the ball, and it's paying dividends. I mean, we don't give enough credit to Byron Murphy. He's one of the best cover corners in the NFL so far through nine weeks. So when you have that much talent, of course, you're going to generate the pressure that, that that defense has been generating. Of course, you're going to come up with all those, all those takeaways when you have that offense on the other side of the ball. He's just taking advan- advantage of the talent.
1: You know what the Cardinals' uh, defensive front Chandler Jones going to like the sound of? They minus their starting center. They already had one of the worst O-lines Carolina in the league. So they just lost their starting center against the Patriots. He has done for the year torn ACL Not unfortunately. Very nice. yeah. And then uh, the starting left tackle, Cam Irving, went out in that game and got an MRI, and he's not likely to play against the I think CRC. he went on IR. I think, they, I want, think they put okay. both on IR. yeah, they said it was bad. I didn't yeah. see they. No, and, I
0: think they both were put on IR so yesterday. Or, yeah, yesterday.
1: One of the worst O-lines in the league is now banged up and bad. So we uh, We'll see. If this is a game where, once again, Chandler Jones and company, they can – I mean, for Marcus Golden I didn't even realize he had three sacks. I thought he had two. I guess I misattributed one of the sacks. But by the end of the game, I kept asking our producer, Jim, i are you sure he has three? I thought he had two, but he ends up with three. And then afterwards, he was the last guy off the field, and he's signing for all the fans that had come down to the front row. And he's going around, and he's still bouncing up and down. And, and, and I mean, the energy, where he gets it, where – You guys know, you see him like on a Saturday in the team hotel on the road, and he's got a big old smile, and he's bellowing across the team room, and it's just, I don't know where he gets the endless energy, but that motor, that motor has him with nine sacks and number three in the NFL behind Miles Garrett and T.J. Watt. Think about that.
0: I mean, they came into this season hoping that he could be somebody that, would fill the void now that Hassan Reddick left. And now that it's kind of interesting that Hassan Reddick comes into town this week, having a fantastic yep. season.
1: Pretty, pretty good.
0: Not as good as Marcus Golden, at least sack-wise he so far. And and I think that's really amazing. Um, you can't I, – I, I certainly don't want to throw any shade on what Hassan is doing because he's doing great. And I love the fact that he seems to have figured out his career arc. Um, but to have Marcus Golden on this team – I mean, let's face it, guys – they had to resign they were going to re sign one of those guys. And they picked Marcus Golden, probably because he was going to be cheaper. He signed before Hassan Redick did. I'm guessing Hassan Redick thought he was going to get a lot more money than he did on the open market. He
1: got one year, six million, is right. what I read.
0: I think it was, yeah, six. And what's Marcus is, I what, two for nine? Exactly. So um, the Cardinals made a choice, and it's worked out okay. I mean, you, you pay a little less money, and you're getting the production you want, and, and now they're going to be uh, on either side, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see. But, I, 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 look, I love Marcus the first time he was here. Uh, I feel like he and I are – I wouldn't say we're tight, but uh, I feel like he and I have a really good relationship, and uh, I, there's, there's no one you would want to root for more than Marcus Golden.
1: And, look, Hassan Reddick went back to Carolina. There's a reason, a cause and effect. Their head coach was his head coach at Temple. Matt Rule so they have a long-standing relationship he said okay if I'm going to take a one-year deal somewhere to Darren's point once he didn't get the big money once he didn't get the multi-year he said okay if I'm going to go somewhere I'm going to go back with my old coach Matt Rule and I can be certain he's going to use him the way I think my skill set is utilized best which did not get figured out with the Cardinals until the very last season of his Cardinals career and so, boom, he is. He's having a very nice season. I think he's at eight and a half sacks. He's right behind Marcus Golden. Right. And, and he has a ton of – he's in the stat sheet in all other categories, tackles for loss and, and quarterback hits and pressures. So, he's having – and look, their defense is athletic. Carolina's yeah. defense goes sideline to sideline. They're, they're an excellent – they gave Carolina's offense against the Patriots the ball at the 21 and the 31. And the offense went nowhere, had to kick two field goals, and that's all they got the entire game. They lost 24-6 to the Patriots.
0: I mean, it, again, it's, it, the way I look at this, and this is why I like how the Cardinals are constructed, their defense has been very good. But their defense, one of the reasons it's good, and this is to take nothing away from what this Cardinals defense has done, but one of the reasons it's been pretty good is because the offense has gotten them leads. And I just feel like, and you guys can disagree with me if if you if you disagree. I mean, I wouldn't because I'm right. But
1: um, I, I want to disagree so bad I right know now. You do, go but ahead, but you're go not ahead.
0: going to because I'm going to say this league is an offensive league, and if you're not good offensively, I don't care how good your defense is, you don't have a chance. And I feel like the Panthers have a pretty solid defense, but they don't have a chance because they don't have an offense.
1: No, no quarterback, no chance. Yeah, that's their situation. Yeah. And uh, guess what? They gave up three draft picks for Sam Darnold and then picked up his $19 million guaranteed option for next year. And this week's starting quarterback easily could be P.J. Walker admittedly i had no clue who in the heck is pj walker i can't believe you didn't watch the xfl that's
0: very yeah. disappointing is that
1: where I, I didn't even see xfl in his bio i saw he came from temple where he was a yeah. four-year starter for matt rule at temple
0: he was like he was like the best quarterback in the xfl before it shut
1: down for COVID. gotcha okay so uh he hasn't been very good in the nfl career he has one touchdown he has five picks and uh you know he, earlier this year, he went in against the Giants. They lost 25-3, and that's when that's when Sam Darnold originally hurt his throwing shoulder. And P.J. Walker in that game went 3 of 14 with zero touchdowns, zero picks, three sacks, and a passer rating of
2: 40. I mean, he's going to have a whole week to prepare. So, I mean, that may make the difference. They already, this defense already had a chance to prepare for a mobile quarterback like, like Trey Lance. So, I mean, they have the blueprint to defend against someone like that. Yeah, but B- P.J. Walker, I mean, no no disrespect to him. He's not one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, if we're talking about backups, I wouldn't even say he's one of the top backups in the NFL. I mean, what he has riding on his set, on his side is that he does he does have some uh, experience playing under Matt Rule. So, I mean, hopefully that benef- benefits them. I mean, I doubt it, the way that this defense is playing. And going back to Darren's point, uh, yeah, it, it is an offensive league, but... When the when your defense is giving you the ball b- time after time after takeaways, that also benefits. Oh. The, uh, uh, that also benefits the offense. Of course, like we saw in Week Nine, you know they capitalize on those two force fa- those two force fumbles. So it's like a it's like a two way street, but the offensive street is a little bit wider. I would say.
1: Well, the Cardinals are top three as a scoring offense. Top three is a scoring defense. Their top three in turnover ratio. So, yeah, Felipe, I would agree. All those things go together. There's no doubt about it. One begets another in a lot of ways. Um, but to Darren's point, no QB, no chance. If Sam Darnold wasn't already day to day with the shoulder injury, I think he's day to day just based on the tone and temperature of his head coach, Matt Rule, after the loss to the Patriots, and I quote, I think Sam would be the first to tell you that wasn't good enough from the quarterback position. We had guys open with some opportunities that we weren't able to connect on. We had too many batted balls. We had three giveaways. When you look at our season, we have to protect the football, and then we have a chance to win. So play at the position has to be better. We just can't continue to keep throwing the ball up. we got to protect the football. A third down pick is one thing, but first and second down interceptions just can't happen. So, to me, those are decision-making things that we've talked about and talked about and talked about, and here we are in Game 9, and it hasn't happened. End quote. Matt Rule on his quarterback. I'm not feeling a Game 10 for Sam Darnold. That's just not me.
0: Well, I mean, this, this is where you get to. And, and there's been a lot of conversation about the Panthers considering the possibility of bringing in Deshaun Watson if they could make it work. And, uh, that and they, they were, supposedly
1: yeah, tried. Yeah,
0: they tried. Well, they tried in the offseason, and then all the things started happening with Watson, and they went to, with Darnold. And then, uh, obviously, they, uh, everything's just so sticky with the Deshaun Watson legal problems that oh, sure. uh, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. But they're going to be in a position where they're not set a quarterback. And, again, we just said this, and I'm going to say it again, you can't, you're can't, you not going to win in this league without a quarterback. And, and I just don't they thought Darnold might be it, and he played pretty well those first couple weeks.
1: He did. They and, started
0: 3-0. and Well, they played a really soft schedule, and we know now that it was a soft schedule, and then he just dropped off the cliff. So,
1: <laughs> By the way, it's not all. It's not all on your quarterback, Coach Matt Rule. You lead the league in penalties with 65, mm. and does that not go back to the coaching staff? So uh, there are other issues with this Carolina team uh, that – uh, you know the Cardinals. So look, to me, we've seen it at home. We've seen some slow starts. Not just me. Calvin Beecham brought it up last week with the media. So the big, even with Colt McCoy at quarterback, I think the biggest fear is how do the Cardinals come out? How do they come out at home against a Carolina team that's lost five of six? The offense must look absolutely dreadful on film. The defense was just throttled by Mac Jones. Who, by the way, had that dirty play on Brian Burns, who one of the best pass rushers who may not play in this game because of it. And uh, you ask anyone in that Cardinals locker room, that's the one play out of that game film against the Patriots everyone is citing. Well, how does Mac Jones get away with that? That MMA-WWE move where he yanks onto Brian Burns' leg and then not only yank, 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 and then turns it, you know, almost. Like, and uh, all those guys want. And, in fact, Hassan Redick went off. Yeah, he did. After the game and wanted to know, wait a minute, if the quarterback is untouchable and the moment you lean on a quarterback, you're going to get fined every Tuesday, don't the defenders get a little protection from quarterbacks in these sort of situations? So I think the entire league, every locker room is looking at the NFL and how they respond to what Mac Jones did in that play.
0: I would agree with that, and it's going to be interesting. And if they don't do anything, I yeah. don't know if I'd want to be Mac Jones, to be honest. Yeah,
1: I I, I agree. Um, so, by the way, did you ever post your midseason awards at halftime, I Darren? Did? Uh, you did post them. I,
0: what, what you're like? You're too I'm busy eating your the- power bowl, uh, power bar, <laughs> that you can't look at my midseason stuff.
1: Well, first I got to carry Fredrickson and Drew Stanton and uh, Kyle Van at halftime, you know, and then and then I got to chase down Cliff Kingsbury really as he's coming thing. out of the. It was, life, it was, so. it was two tweets. Two tweets? All right, so. But uh, but I did do it. Oh, who were the award winners? Give me the headliners. I think
0: I said Murray was most valuable. Okay. And then I said Byron Murphy was most improved. And then I got everybody angry because they said it was Isaiah Simmons. Ooh. And then uh, I don't know what if I said anything else. Let me look at that up. Let me look that up.
1: (laughs) What's the Twitter handle again, Darren? What's it at? You know what? A little little cross promotion. I I can't believe you said that.
0: At Cards Chatter.
1: There you go. Why uh, have you you getting some blowback on that as well? People no, like your Twitter handle. Like what do you, you mean? don't know it. No, I just I'm, I want you to go ahead and oh, uh, you know cross promote it over there. Yeah, so, well. you know, I just thought I'd. Uh... By the way, Felipe, your take. What was the take from the uh, press box when Cliff Kingsbury went after the official, and then it uh, ended up nose to face mask with Josh Norman?
2: Well, I mean, I have the. I'm fortunate enough to learn the the game from our own Rolando Cantu. I already mentioned him, ex-Arizona Cardinals offensive lineman. And I asked him, you know, what type of energy does does that give a player? You know, I mean, but when your head coach is more fired up than you, I mean, that's automatically that's going to get you fired up. You know, it gives you confidence to do your job, most importantly. Um, and I think it set the tone from that point moving forward. They're, they were already up 14-0, to zero, but then – I think they just took it to another another level when it when it comes to intensity. And uh, I was I was scrolling through Twitter right uh, this during my lunch right before this this podcast, and I came across this video of Draymond Green. I'm going to switch sports for like a couple of seconds. They were interviewing about he was at at a press conference and he was talking about how uh, during one of their games he went over to his head coach and Steve Kerr and he said, "Hey, can you you know change your body language a little bit?" Because they committed a couple of turnovers and whatnot, and long story short, Steve Kerr changed his body language. He was more energetic, and then the team ended up winning, and you know, everything everything was all good, and it brought me to this this moment with Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, they were it was a, they were already up, like I said, but once a player sees a coach be that fired up. You saw D.J. Humphreys. You, you saw what he did. He went on. To, he went up to Josh Norman, and, you know, he gave him a, a slight headbutt. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is right next to uh, Kingsbury. He was fired up as well. So it just gives the, the team a certain level of confidence, again, to do their job, to get them fired up, to set the tone, especially defensively. And I think they succeeded in that. I mean, was it – Kingsbury said he shouldn't have been on the field. He shouldn't have done any of that. But in that moment, as a player, I'm assuming they were equally as fired up as Cliff.
1: You know, on the radio side, his comments to us were a little different than when he told the postgame presser, I I believe. And he said when the two flags came out, he thought he was ejected. He thought both were on him initially. That's what he told I us. Remember,
0: I can't remember if he said – I think he did say he thought both flags were on him. I don't think he said he thought he was ejected. But the thing about that whole thing with me, Paul, was that, like, that was like the fourth or fifth time he was out on the field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was on the field a lot early in the game, way more than I've ever seen him before. And uh, I just – I found that to be very interesting. And, you know, he obviously downplayed the emotion into after the end of the game and everything like that. But it was just – I don't know. It, it was it was definitely an interesting side of him. And it to me, it just kind of underscored he didn't really say this, but it just kind of made me feel like this was a big deal to him. Like he really wanted to have one under his belt that, OK, even if Kyler's not here, I can coach up a win. And uh, he kind of gave off that vibe yeah. for
1: sure. Every sideline has what they call the get back guy. Yeah. And, and he's in charge of when people get fired up and they start gravitating towards the field because that will result in a flag. And it's happened. I think under Wiseman it did happen once. It's the last time, remember, the Cardinals sideline getting a flag for being out Who's of the, the field. Who's the get-back
0: guy for the Cardinals?
1: It, it's a couple of the assistant strength guys. Okay. and so, But it, it's a different dynamic when you're trying to basically go Draymond Green, Felipe, and block out someone and push them back to mm-hmm. the sideline. It's one thing if it's a rookie. It's another thing if it's like the assistant – You know, special teams coach. But when it's the head coach, and you're an assistant strength coach, and you're trying to shove the head coach back, there's always a little reticence. There's always a little hesitation. Like, okay, this is the CEO, and am I how physical am I going to get trying to keep him on the sideline? And there's it's always an interesting dynamic. But to Darren's point, he was out there quite a bit, and it's not the first time that D.J. Humphries has intervened. There was a moment with Mike Vrabel in Week One. Where uh, there was an exchange, and DJ Humphrey sort of stepped in between and was a personal protector for his head coach, and so that was that's intriguing. And it, and as you know, as DJ said after the game, I'm not playing that. I'm not letting some cornerback flex on my head coach. I no. mean, that, that's that's where I draw the
0: line. My favorite part was he's like, I was looking for Josh Norman after the game, and he goes, I haven't took my helmet off. Give him the advantage.
1: So supposedly, and I didn't witness this, but supposedly uh, Cliff and Josh Norman talked after the game, and. I will say this. I was obviously behind Cliff Kingsbury, and and he was very aggressive and going out into that field, and then he was barking at Josh Norman. I was shocked to see that he was smiling at one point during the exchange when I actually saw the TV side, and I saw what I couldn't see, and that was him from the front side, that he was actually smiling at one point because that did not seem to be his demeanor either before or after that play on the sideline. He was 100% game face, Yeah, and uh, and, and there's no doubt. And Chase Edmonds said it on the Big Red Rage about a month ago. Christian Kirk hinted at it this week that the coach has an extra edge to him. And the guys know it, and they're feeding off it. And I, I think I think it's making a difference, really. And then, of course, there's James Conner, who uh, is, is another guy who's sort of setting the tone when he runs in for one and then comes back to the defense and screams, you know, hey, are you guys with me? You guys with me? Just, that dude is a tone setter yeah. on game day. He's they're,
0: having an unbelievable yeah. season.
1: Where there. do you think his season is going as we – Get it to the point here we're going to wrap up cardinals underground i mean go ahead zoom out i mean can this continue and where is he going to end up at this point remember the all-time record for touchdowns in a season is david johnson 2016 he had 20. he had 16 rushing touchdowns is james connor going to threaten that
0: i mean i think he's going to threaten it the way this offense is going and the when the way that they use him near the goal line because he's the guy inside i mean if he stays healthy and a 17 game season yeah that's he true. absolutely is yeah. gonna is gonna throw minus
1: it. chase edmonds for two to four weeks
0: well the thing is is like now it's like my question is do you do you ramp up Eno a little bit more because what you don't want is that james Conner is shouldering us so much of the load over the next four or five games that he's not effective down the stretcher in the playoffs that's not you don't want that either
1: by the way, did you guys realize Zane Gonzalez is the uh, kicker for the mm-hmm. Carolina Panthers? He's having a great season, actually. He is. He is. Revenge yeah. game. Zane's a great guy, and I, you know, we wish him all the best. Yeah, he's hit 12 in a row, and he's 15-17 this year. I'm looking at it. And he has a career-long 57-yard field goal this year for Carolina. So, let's just hope there isn't a. Game winning situation where he has a chance to kick because it should not be that close. That would be uh, based on what we have seen from this uh, Carolina team that uh, has been not. struggling, no doubt about that. So uh, there you go. Uh, I think we got a lot accomplished this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Once again, getting back to the $1 trillion infrastructure bill um, and zero cap. Okay, zero cap. <laughs> zero so, cap. I, you know, I think hopefully hopefully we earned that personalized license plate on this edition here, Felipe.
0: I wonder, that's not your license plate. Though.
2: Not at all. We might have it donated to the Cardinals Underground podcast. <laughs> it, it, well,
1: it was on a very luxurious sedan. So, uh, you know, goes. either you've made some good stock picks lately, Felipe, if you're driving, if you have that sort of ride. Um,
2: uh, that's definitely not in my
1: not, – <laughs> Not, you know. You're not, you're not driving a uh, no, not no? a fan. as, not soon as you, a six-figure luxury sedan. Yeah, as no? soon as
2: you said fancy, I said All right. That's <laughs> definitely not me.
1: That'll do it. Zero cap here on Cardinals Underground.